that we can actually find security in. Uh, while we're turning there, uh, let me uh, say a word of prayer. I want to start there, I guess. Dear God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for your word and the truth in it. Uh, thank you uh, for the wisdom that you give to us, people who are uh, not worthy to behold it, uh, but that you give it anyways out of your grace and your mercy and your love. I just pray, uh, like it says in James 1, that, that I ask uh, that you share with us your mercy, uh, even though we don't deserve it, that you would give it um, as we try to read through your word and, and understand the good things and the great things you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so there are two things I want to define for us today before we get started. Uh, Two words that I grew up in church and uh, I didn't have right understanding really in my mind, I think, about them. Um, One is a very simple one-syllable word, hope. And the other one is uh, justification, a little bit more complicated. Uh, The word hope, I'll start with. um, In the Bible... Uh, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not uh, an idea uh, like a a child looking forward to uh, Christmas and he uh, asks for something that's well outside the budget of his parents. You know, he asks for uh, a new car and he's 14 years old, a brand new Camaro or something. You know, and he's like, goes to bed Christmas Eve saying, I really wish I get this car, even though there's little uh, promise or fact to back up that I'm going to have a new car in the morning. Uh, Sometimes I think we slip into that as we read the Bible. We think it would be wonderful if there was a heaven and a God that loves us, but isn't that a little hard to believe? Um, We might not ever say that out loud or say that to people in church, but that doubt starts to creep in. But when the Bible talks about hope, it's something that's concrete, something that you can put your anchor in, something you can build a foundation of a life on, something that you can literally trust to be true. And so when you live in hope, you're living in a real expectation that something is actually going to happen. It's a real belief. Like uh, if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Joey had the illustration of the guy running a wheelbarrow across a tightrope of Niagara Falls. Uh, you know, jumping into the wheelbarrow is real hope. Saying, I hope that guy doesn't die is wishful thinking. You know, it's just the idea that uh, a real expectation. The second word is justification. It comes from the root word just, uh, which goes even further back uh, to uh, a Hebrew word that was standing for completely upright. Righteous and justification come from the same uh, word. So to be made right or to be justified is the same idea. It's to be made upright again. If I were building a house and never have me build your house, I'm a terrible carpenter. Uh, But if I were to, um, and you came to inspect it and all the walls were at 45 degree angles and you came with your own level and you measured them, you would say, this house is not going to stand. None of these walls are upright. Um, The Bible does the same thing. It says, um, you may look at your life and say, well, everything's pretty good, uh, but compared to the law, is everything upright? Is everything completely just, uh, completely equal uh, with the law of God in your life? And uh, the 
the Bible is this measuring stick as, as also gives hope if you say, well, that's not necessarily true. Uh, so uh, justification is to be made right, to literally be made upright again. And uh, the word hope is a very real concrete expectation of things to come. So uh, now that that's out of the way, if you've turned to Romans 5, you've, I guess I've given you plenty of time to do so. Um, starting in verse 1, if you don't mind, as is our custom here, to please stand in honor of the word of God. Romans 5, 1 begins, Therefore, since we have been justified or made by, right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Dear Lord, thank you so much uh, for your word. I just uh, pray that you would uh, guide my words, guide this time as we uh, study your word, uh, that you would just uh, be with us as we try to draw close to you, that you would draw close to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first part of this passage says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Paul is writing a letter to the Romans, um, and in Romans 5, he sort of has a short summary of what he said already, and he also launches into the rest of the book. So it's a good point to just take a snapshot of the whole book. And he says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we've been made right, we've been made upright again in the eyes of God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a justifying faith, a faith that makes us right before God, which is a a wonderful thing. And that's, uh, like I said, it's a summary of earlier in the book. If you want to flip back one page to Romans 3, starting in verse 21, uh, this is another encouraging passage that sheds a little bit more light on the situation. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or made known apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God foot. Uh, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So I know that's a large chunk of scripture, but I'm going to focus on the last two verses. Um, In verse 25, God put forward Christ as a propitiation, which is a a word that means uh, a substitute that brings parties together. So Christ endured our punishment so that we would not be separated from God. And uh, that propitiation was made by his blood on the cross to be received by faith. So all we have to do is 
believe and receive this by faith. And like it says in Romans 5, we've been justified. All we have to do is truly believe in the promises of God, truly have hope, truly have this expectation of a life to come. Um, The name of the sermon is, uh, I titled it sort of an odd thing. It's called Hoping Against Hope. And it comes from Romans 4 verse 18 when Paul Uh, when Paul was describing what Abraham had done. Abraham, if you remember from Genesis, uh, old guy, 75, I can say that in the service, sorry. Uh, 75, to me, he'd be long, long, long past where I would be expecting to have children. And God's promise to Abraham was, you're going to have kids. He's 75, and he thinks, okay, I believe you, God. I have a real hope. I have a real expectation that this is going to happen. What do I do? So the Lord says, gather all your possessions and move to a foreign land. So he does it. He doesn't, it's not wishful thinking over and over again. Well, I, it'd be really nice if I had kids. It'd be really nice if I was the father of a nation. But he has a very real concrete expectation that the Lord is going to fulfill his promise. So he he gathers everything up and he starts living. He starts hoping against hope. Uh, Hope is a happy expectation of things to come generally. So we can develop hope in in this physical life, in in this world right now. You can say, well, I'm uh, acquiring things for myself. I have a house. This is just the things that we work for. These are the things that we hope to have in the future. Uh, This is life As a human, this is life as an American. I've worked hard. I've built a savings. And uh, if Abraham had that mindset, he'd worked hard. He's 75, time to retire. Uh, But that was not God's plan for Abraham's life. God's plan for Abraham's life was that he would be a father of many nations. That he would be a man who was defined over and over again by his faith, his belief in a promise, his belief in this hope, this different hope that uh, everyone else in the entire world had, but he had one thing that they didn't have. He had a promise from God, a promise that he could build his hope on. Uh, So back to Romans 3. um, In verse 26, all of this was to show the right, to show God's righteousness or or God's uprightness at the present time so that God might be seen or known as just, that God might be just at the same time that God is a justifier, that God would be upright, morally pure, perfect, which we know that he is, but at the same time, he's able to fix the sin problem. Because if that happened in a court, if you were sitting in court, uh, you got a speeding ticket or you just uh, wanted to go in for some reason and you sat there and uh, people are coming before the, uh, the judge and say there's someone who committed murder. And if the judge were to say, well, you look like you're sorry for it. Um, you know, don't worry about it this time. Just try to be better. That's not just. The, the person who was murdered and the family of the um, murdered people, an injustice has been done against them if the law is not filled out. And yet God is able to fix the sinner's problem without being an unjust judge. And the way that he does this is through the cross. Through Christ, God can be 
remain just, remain morally perfect, and he can justify the sinner. He can be at the same time completely fair and completely forgiven through the cross. And that's the wonderful news of the gospel is we don't have a God that is unjust. We have a God that's perfectly just and yet a God that still loves us and shows mercy. And that's the beauty of the cross. So in Romans 5, that's what Paul is excited about. In verse 2, he says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And then he says something strange. He says, and we, uh, well, not yet strange. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And the strange thing comes in verse 3. He says, more than that, we rejoice in sufferings. Okay, so you might say, well, I was excited about that point. Why am I rejoicing in sufferings? Why am I uh, rejoicing in hard times? That seems a little bit silly um, that I would just try to ignore circumstance and put on a happy face. Uh, What is the Lord trying to say here? And uh, the point that the Lord uh, is making, that Paul's making in, in Romans 1, is that when we look at various trials, when we look at suffering in our life, uh, we don't see the full picture. We don't see hope and eternity. We just get so focused on what's going wrong in our lives right now that we forget the great and precious promises that the Lord has made us, that we have a hope for eternity. Because no little trouble that's what uh, Paul writes again in, in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 15 through 17. He says, you know, even though my outward man is wasting away, I'm being renewed. The inner man's being renewed day by day. And this light and momentary affliction is achieving for me a weight and glory that far outweighs it all. This little trouble here on earth, it may not feel little at the time, but in, in reality compared to the glory and the value of what's happening in heaven, It is a very little weight. It is a very little tribulation. And he's excited about this this hope to come, this hope in eternity. So he says, um, this is a a reason to rejoice. We, We are accepted by God if we are justified by faith. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we uh, confess with our mouths and believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord, then we will be saved. It's very simple. I mean, Jesus went through such an ordeal on the cross, he could have put any price tag on it, right? He could have said, you have to give every single penny you earn. You've got to earn it back. He could have said anything, right? He was the one who did it. He could have put any price tag, but he puts this price tag on it. You have to really believe. You have to have this concrete hope that I am the Lord, and that I am true to my promises. So at first, it's like, it seems easy, but in all actuality, he asks everything. Because to hope against hope, to focus on a, on a life that's different than what everyone else is living on this earth, if you walked out and you just looked around, many people are living for here and now. They're in date their, their reason for hope is on this side of when they die. But Jesus promised something to be seen by faith is something that's on the other side of when we pass away. When we step into glory for the first time, when we see God, 
then that's when our hope is realized. And so either you accept that faith and you're made right, you're justified by that faith, or you say, I can't risk that. I don't know. That's a lot to give out without any promise of return. And you try to reason on to your life. You try to reason. You try to hold on to your life, something that you can't possibly hold on to. But Jesus said, uh, you know, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain eternity. That's a paraphrase. I don't remember that. Anyways, I should have written that down. Um, the fourth, uh, so a reason to rejoice. The really uh, cool thing about this that uh, Pastor Joey was preaching about last week that I'm going to try to build on a little bit is it is impossible to have joy in your life, real joy in hard times apart from the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we're promised this divine nature in Second Peter 1. We're, we're promised this... Um, comforter in Matthew 28. We're promised this wonderful thing that's going to come in and change us from the very inside, this Holy Spirit of God, the same uh, spirit that raised Jesus up from the, from the grave is the same spirit that dwells within us. And the fruit of this spirit for those who walk alongside in uh, Galatians 5, for those who abide in him, John 14, there will be much fruit. And this fruit is love and joy and peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So it's the very nature of God to dwell upright with the law. You don't have to worry about, uh, am I doing things right? Am I, uh, what rules are there in the Old Testament? Do I have to follow? If you are set free, at the beginning of Galatians 5, it says, for freedom you've been set free, and then you're filled with this Holy Spirit that makes your own nature. And Jeremiah, it says that we would be made slaves to righteousness where we were slaves of sin. In Romans 6, Paul talks about that. He says, as, as the law comes up, sin, seeing an opportunity to rebel against God, rebels. So no amount of my own effort can be good, and no amount of my own effort can produce joy. It's only through this divine nature. It's only through the Holy Spirit working out through me this wonderful gift of God that changes who I am and what's the outpouring of my life. That's what he was talking about last week when he was talking about this fruit of um, fruit of a life. He was talking about the fig tree in Mark that Jesus saw it had leaves, it had a show that it was going to have some sort of fruit and it had no fruit. And Jesus um, sees that the tree is acting as if it's a fruit tree when it's really not a fruit tree. It looks to be something that it really is not. It doesn't have the nature of a fruit tree. It just has the appearance of a fruit tree and he curses it and it withers and it dies. Now, if you are aware, there's also a parable in Luke, several, uh, it would have been before Jesus uh, curses the fig tree, and it says there is a there's a fig tree in a garden that was not bearing fruit, and uh, the master says uh, cut it down, and the vine dresser who or the um, uh, gardener who would have uh, in this parable was Jesus says um, let me work on it, let me fertilize it, let me prune it, let me work on it to really try to bring out its nature. And then in a, if in a few years, if it's not bearing fruit, then we'll cut it down. So God's not quick. He doesn't, he's very patient 
to judge. It says in the early part of Romans that it's the kindness of God that is meant to lead us to repentance. So he's not quick to judge, but he is quick to show mercy. And that is a wonderful thing because if he was quick to judge, then none of us would be sitting here. We've all done wrong. That's what it said in Romans 3, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. You know, but it's the gift of God that's eternal life. It also says in Romans and, and that's a, a wonderful thing. We can have hope in that. Now, um, on the contrary to that, if we aren't justified by faith, uh, we make a real effort to justify ourselves. Um, funny story. My boss is here, so I hope he's okay with telling me this story. Uh, Wednesday, uh, or it was Thursday, we get a, a text, and it's a picture of a weed shooting out of a bush. And uh, we try to do the highest quality work. Uh, I try to take pride in my work and try to do a, a good thing. But there are certain rules. Uh, if you see a weed in a bed, you just pluck it out and you take care of it so that it doesn't grow to be a small tree. Um, this week, we had a small tree situation. There was a weed that was about literally three and a half feet tall. And uh, when I am told, uh, we're all texted, hey, there was a mistake. My mind immediately starts racing. And it was strange to me, but it, it immediately starts racing, trying to justify my own actions, trying to shift blame. It was probably someone else who oh, should have been responsible. It was uh, probably someone else who should have seen it. Um, and that's what we do, not just in small instances, but in big instances. When something goes wrong, we try very hard to, in our own mind, justify or make right in our mind our own actions. The problem is we're not the judge at the end because unlike Christ, we are not just and able to justify at the same time. We have to let go of our view of justice to justify our actions. If I was going to justify leaving the weed there, then I couldn't keep in my mind that I was really responsible for doing my job. I would have to say, well, someone else is responsible for doing my job, and that's clearly not the case. You know, there's this idea of being just and justifying, and God is the only one who can hold on to being just as at the same time justifying the unrighteous. And that is a wonderful thing that he does because without Christ, there is no way to justification and therefore no way to heaven. So we're given this hope of justification. We're given this hope of heaven. That really is a good thing. And that is a reason to rejoice. Uh, the final thing is, uh, my final point is we have a hope that does not disappoint. If you look at the uh, end of uh, that section one through five, Uh, so, well, we'll start in verse three. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, character produces hope. And this hope does not disappoint or does not put us to shame. Disappoints the New King James. Uh, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So unlike many things that I can hope for, um, uh, I talk to the youth all the time ab about this idea of hope and hope is, uh, usually always built on promises, whether, 
whether they are explicit or implicit, whether they are spoken to you or you just uh, think that if you do a certain thing, then a certain outcome will, will come about. But um, the hope of God is built on the promises of God, where the hope of this world are built on the promises of this world. And we would all, if asked, definitely say, well, the promises of this world aren't trustworthy. If you go home and you flip on the television and you see a car commercial, uh, you know, a young guy driving a nice fast car and he looks very happy. And the, imp- the implication there is if you buy this car, you too will be young, good looking and happy. And while we know that's not necessarily true, a little part of us buys into that hope. And so we get a car that we know we can't afford and uh, we drive it around. Uh, And it doesn't bring the satisfaction that it promises. But the hope of God is built on the promises of God. So when God makes a promise, we can have a real concrete hope in it. The reason that uh, we don't have such a high view of hope is because at this point in our lives, we've bought into so many false promises. Because you don't have to explain uh, the the power of hope to a younger kid. Uh, Christmas Eve, you look at their face, you see hope. Uh, It's only through years of disappointment and earthly promises that that hope turns into years of not getting a a car when you're 13. Uh, You know, just the years and years of disappointment and promises, we start to think that the promises of God are like the promises of man. And that is greatly to our error. Uh, Because the promises of God are completely dependable. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, if you acknowledge him in all your ways, then he will direct your paths. Then he will make your way known. You know, this is good. It's flesh, it's a health to your flesh and strength to your bones. That's a real promise. You can take it to the bank. I would not recommend sticking your leg between two heavy objects. There was a lot of pain there, but God was faithful, you know. Um, it, it really is um, true. The, the reason that I um, started studying hope, uh, the reason that I started studying hope uh, was about a year and a half ago. Uh, my wife and I uh, found out, it was probably two years ago now, we, we found out that we were uh, expecting and we were excited and nervous and all the uh, wonderful and crazy emotions that come uh, with finding out that you're expecting to have uh, a child. And uh, just a few weeks pass and we find out that we have a miscarriage. And it was painful, but I knew Something uh, in my heart said, Luke, you've got to turn to scripture for wisdom here. Because if you start making promises to your wife um, about, oh, things will get better. It's okay. We might, we'll have plenty of kids. Those aren't things I can promise. What I can promise is what's in the Bible. So, what, so I started studying uh, the Bible, just looking all over. And, and she came to me and said, Luke, you know, just the the name of uh, the child that the Lord put on my heart was hope. So I said, okay, that makes it easier. So I just started um, studying the word hope. And I came across a very odd verse. You know, I just looked at 
up the word and all the times that it's in the Bible, I just was reading all the verses. And there's a very odd verse in the verse of jo- in the ch- in the book of Job, and Job's kind of a strange book. You've got the most righteous man in the entire world, uh, and all of a sudden his life starts falling apart. But he won't curse God because he trusts God and he loves God. And no matter what comes his way, he won't let go of his hope and his trust in God. And right in the middle of Job, in chapter 15, there's a verse where Job says, like, you know, crashing waves and torrents crash against rock and sand and wash them away. So the Lord washes away the hope of men. And I read that verse many times and I, I just couldn't understand it. Why would, a, why would a good God, why would a righteous, loving God just be washing away this hope that I have? Isn't hope a good thing? Isn't, isn't hope a good thing? And I realized that hope is only a good thing if, if it's built on firm foundations. Hope is only a good thing if it's built on the promises of God. If I build my entire life on the promises of man, then just like Jesus says in Matthew 7, you're like a man who builds his house on the sand, not a firm foundation. And then when the storm comes, and storms will come for all of us, even if your life is perfect all the way until the very end, death will be a terrible storm. And that storm comes against us, and if your hope isn't built on the foundation of God, if your hope isn't built on the bedrock of the promises of God, then it will simply wash away and the fall of everything will be great. And I thought that is fascinating because so I was so easy to put real trust in things that weren't real promises. And that is maybe the application uh, for you today. What promises have you been putting your trust into? Is it um, happiness in marriage? Is it uh, children and grandchildren living rightly? Is it uh, getting that job? Is it uh, health? Is it something here on earth? Is it if I could just get enough money in the retirement fund so that when I'm 75, I can just not live the way Abraham lived? Or are our promises built on the things of God? Are we trusting the Lord? Are we justified by faith? Do we really believe? Is that hope a bedrock of our salvation? Um, In Psalm 1, speaking of uh, fruit that's born in our life through the Holy Spirit, uh, this passage uh, is uh, one that I, I like very much. One that uh, I had to memorize when I was in the sixth grade. And uh, I'm very glad that my teacher made me do so because many times I've come back to it and it's been uh, sometimes encouraging and sometimes convicting uh, just to say, Luke, you're not on the right track here. It said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree 
planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And that's that idea, right? Are we going to be justified when we come into God's presence when he's standing there or sitting there as the judge and he says, give an account for your life. What promises are you going to be holding on to at that time? Well, I was good enough. I did my very best. If uh, righteousness is a 90 degree angle, I was 87 degrees. I was that close. You know, I didn't mess up, but just a few times. Well, at a, if he's just at that point, he won't say, well, you weren't perfect, but not I. I. I know that I will not be able to stand before a holy, just judge without Christ. And through faith, Christ, what he did on the cross, he has justified my soul. He has made it right with the Lord. So then when I go and stand before God, I know it. I know it's going to happen. I'm hoping I have a concrete idea that it is going to really happen. And my faith will be on the cross. You know, my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. And that's important. And I know I'm not a very polished speaker, but that's an important point that I need to make. Just like my legs stood strong, not that important. I'd be okay with one leg. Um, but I'm not going to be okay if I stand before heaven, stand before God not justified without hope built in heaven. I'm not going to be okay at that point. But if my hope is in faith, if my hope is in Jesus Christ, if my faith is built on that, then he promises that we would be justified. It promises that we would have peace with God. And I'll hold on to those things, no matter what. Okay? So, that's uh, basically all that I've got to share with you today. But those things are important. And because these things are, are things that God promises to us. Things that I've built or tried to build my faith on. Things that uh, God has washed away some of the uh, hopes that aren't necessarily important. There are things that I thought, well, if I had this, um, I, I went to Virginia Tech. I really wanted to be a doctor because my dad's a doctor and he was a fantastic, is a fantastic doctor. And uh, he um, uses his uh, medical practice to share the good news of the gospel. And I said, hey, I can do that. I can be a doctor and I too can uh, share with people who are hurting or people wherever. I can say, Jesus loves you. Uh, and I thought, well, this is a good plan for my life. My hope was in my plan. Even though I thought it was a good plan, uh, the Lord had a different, issue, uh, different um, plan in mind. So he washed away that hope, and it hurt. It did. I thought that I had everything secure. I thought that I was building a, a strong foundation for my future that would provide for my family. Uh, but the Lord pointed out, uh, your faith wasn't in me there. Your faith was in yourself to walk close to me, but your faith was not in me. So 
uh, the past uh, five, six years since that time have been a, a time of growing and a time of focusing on the Lord and a time of making sure that all of my trust is placed on the promises of God and not on anything else. Because when it really counts the most, his promises are going to be the thing that stands. And everything else will be washed away and you'll be left with the things that you built on the promises of God. Okay, so um, that being said, that gives me extraordinary joy because I actually know my faith is my sight. I'm not anxious. I don't worry because Jesus Christ came from heaven and he said, this is what it's like. I've come down so that you may come with me. And he was very clear and vivid. And he said, you can have very real hope in these things. So uh, that being said, um, if you feel that the Lord is doing something in your life. If you say, I don't know if my uh, hope is really built on the promises of God, then uh, come down and uh, speak to Pastor Joe. He'll be down here. Or if you just think, well, I've gotten a little bit off track. Uh, there are many things I've scattered my, um, you know, I, I've built uh, some very important things on the, uh, the promises of God, but there are some things that I've uh, tried to set up shop hedge my bets and, and uh, invest here on this earth. Uh, and if God's speaking to you about that, then, um, then you can respond. The altar's open. But uh, the important thing is we can't, I, I really don't want you to leave today. Um, you know, if you're still working with this, then call out of work tomorrow. Nothing is more important than your relationship with God. Um, so, let me uh, close this in a, a word of prayer and then uh, Pastor Joe will come up. Dear God, we thank you so much for the hope that you have given us. Uh, this happy, real expectation of spending an eternity with you, life that is true life and love that is true love. Uh, we thank you for your spirit uh, that uh, creates in us new life and bears in our life uh, fruit. And if anyone uh, needs to come to you and build their hope on the foundation of your promises that I just pray that they would uh, come forward and learn more about you. Uh, we praise you and all that you have done, all that you are doing and all that you will continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning. Uh, just